You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our Sex Podcast Collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Thanks for tuning in. Sluts and Scholars is a sex-positive, shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. This episode is sponsored by Kama Sutra. This family-owned and operated company has been the gold standard of sex play products since 1969, which is a great number. Kama Sutra has been making love better with their products that range from toys to personal lubricants and massage oils. You can get a 20% off discount right now on all orders at kamasutra.com, K-A-M-A-S-U-T-R-A.com. When you use our discount code S&S, S-A-N-D-S, it looks like SANS in all caps. Enjoy. Hey there, you oh-so-diligent slutty scholars. We always strive to bring you the best guests and information, so sometimes that means that our guests have to call in. That's what happened this week, so the audio isn't as crystal clear as it normally is, but we think you'll enjoy this episode. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars, where we talk smart and fuck smarter. I'm Nicoletta, and I'm a marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And I'm Simone, and I'm a law student and Nicoletta's friend who likes to talk about boning. This week, we are joined by Caitlin Cogan Domner, who studied at Oxford, and then she got her MBA from Biola University. She and her husband, Michael, live in Southern California, and they have, believe it or not, four chickens four children and 17 chickens. <laughs> They've been happily Better married Better than 17 for over... children. <laughs> four I mean, chickens, I don't know. maybe. I don't know. They've been happily married for over 10 years and have continued to, get this, have sex every day. Despite having three more babies and building several successful businesses together, they wrote a new book called Sex Every Day. And Caitlin and Michael in the book share the three-step process they use to prioritize sex in their marriage. Welcome, Caitlin. Thank you, ladies. Okay, wait, like every every, every day? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, first thing I want to say is we do get sick and we do travel just like anybody else. So for example, my husband's on uh, conference. So he's been away for five days. So I am horny as hell. But yeah, <laughs> but usually we do. That's just our ritual. And what we talk about in the book is the first step is redefining sex. That sex doesn't have to be intercourse every single day. But what yes. we view it as is emotional and physical connection and intimacy and pleasure. And that we absolutely have done any day that we are not apart from each other or vomiting in a toilet. So, (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, you could do that even when you're apart, right? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You just have to get more creative. (laughs) (laughs) So it still has to be like involving the other person, right? It couldn't be like an incredible masturbation session solo, which then you describe to your partner. Oh, well, that's fabulous, too. So that happened yesterday because I was just like, honey, I just can't. I just can't. (laughs) I I put the kids down for nap time and I went to my room and I was like, it's on because I cannot wait for you another day. (laughs) Love it. Love it. And is he supportive of that? You know, that that's your sex for the day, you know, loving yourself? 
Yeah, and I'm assuming that he is as well. I haven't asked him about it. it literally, he's been at, in conferences pretty much. We kind of say hi in the morning and then say bye as we're putting the kids to bed. But we haven't been as connected in this this season as we usually are when we're traveling. But yeah, so yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important that you, well, and, well, the way we talk about it is how to prioritize pleasure in your relationship. And mm-hmm. absolutely, your partner's pleasure is the focus. Um, and however they get there, let's get them there, right? <laughs> That's so interesting about like prioritizing the pleasure of your partner as opposed to prioritizing the pleasure of yourself. Could you explain a little bit about why that's the frame of reference? You know, I think it has to go both ways. So I have to, I'm always constantly working on prioritizing pleasure for myself, right? As a mom, as an entrepreneur, there's a lot of things that can get in the way. And it's really easy to put yourself at the bottom of the list. But I think as I'm maturing and and being more articulate and, and conscious about this um, principle, I'm finding ways to incorporate pleasure more. So it might be a bubble bath or dark chocolate or reading a novel that I really love. Um, so there are definitely, you have to prioritize you first and fill that cup. And then it's quite easy for you to prioritize on your partner. So I don't mean to say prioritize your partner's pleasure at the exclusion of your own pleasure. Um, but I do find that when there, when you're in a happily, uh, happy, happy relationship, and you want to please your spouse, that it becomes a reciprocal thing. So my husband wants to please me. We talk about that in the book, that men really do want to be the Casanovas for their wives. Like, they really do want to please you. Um, and and then, as well, for us, like, recognizing that uh, for a lot of men, physical touch is their love language. And so many wives just don't understand. I mean, if you if your husband didn't say, I love you, like, more than just once a week, right? We feel emotionally starved, but we don't think twice about only giving our husband sex every week, once a week, right? If that. Um, so it's about recognizing that I find, especially for men, they are so hungry for that physical intimacy and connection um, that yes, I really do encourage uh, wives to really prioritize their husband and, and recognize and that goes into how we structured the book. So rule number three in the book is she comes first. So in, in a good relationship, we do want the wife to orgasm and the woman I, to orgasm first in this sexual encounter for a lot of physio- physiological and psychological reasons. But um, I find that when women are orgasming every day, they really do don't mind having sex every day. It's just when they're not and they're not owning the pleasure that comes from sex, that's when it feels like a chore as opposed to a delight. So I think I think it's really interesting what you're saying. So we just interviewed um, Dr. Wednesday Martin, who wrote this book mm-hmm. called Untrue, which is about kind of dispelling the myth that women's libidos are less than men's, especially as they Mm -hmm. get older. And so Mm -hmm. I think what you're saying is at first I'm like, wait, what? That doesn't make sense. Like women's libidos are just as strong as men's. And you're saying that like women feel like giving sex to their partner. But I think, I think what, what you're saying, and this is how I'm managing to square it with the two is that women and I'm speak. I know this is like a very heteronormative cis sexual conversation. I just want to acknowledge that. But, um, 
for what you're saying is that women, well, we just don't like shitty sex or sex that like isn't <laughs> focused on our pleasure. And so once we like enter our pleasure into the equation, then we, it's not so much that we don't mind having sex every day. It's that we want to fuck. We want to fuck because we're getting pleasure. Yes. Right. As opposed yeah, to like I think that there doing are something lot, that is a chore. Yes. I think there are a lot of um, psychological inhibitions or cultural inhibitions that we inherit. And I do, I, I am speaking more to kind of the monogamous married uh, couple relationship. So we do have a lot of conservative religious people in our tribe. Yeah, absolutely. And so for them, there, there is a lot of garbage that you kind of pick up about what sex is or isn't along the way. And so, so there's that, that I think a lot of women have to overcome. There are a lot of traditions that we, the myths that we have inherited that women either don't want or, or haven't um, wanted pleasure or sex every day. Right. Um, and then there's also just the prioritization. So a lot of the women that I speak to are moms and they are working full time. And it's just, it's so easy. Like I said, it's so easy to not prioritize yourself and your own pleasure and your own needs when you have so many other values that are competing for your time. Do you think that this can apply to non-heterosexual and non-monogamous couples as well? Or do you feel like you've really only kind of studied its use just in your own personal life. Right. And that's, that's the thing I'm really curious to hear from you guys is how it would apply in other situations. Because I remember on, on the episode I was just listening to you with you guys, you said you were talking about how there's this pattern of when you're in a monogamous or monogamish <laughs> relationship that uh, there can be some stagnation, some boredom that pops up over time. So mm -hmm. I would imagine that for any couple that's been together for a long period of time, that the same, the same competing values and, and uh, things will crop up and get in the way. I think some of the advantages that non-hetero um, couples probably have is that they've had to be very conscious about their views of sexuality and what, and, and coming out very vocally and saying, this is what I do and don't want. So I think probably their biggest advantage is that it's on their radar. And so they have, I think, probably better conversations about it, maybe. I don't know. I would love to hear your guys. I mean, I would say that it's not probably for non-hetero or non-cis, you know, folks that potentially they're being creative and mm -hmm. not penetration focused. Um, just because maybe that's not what they want with their body or their body doesn't allow for that mm -hmm. or that's not what they've been shown. I think there has, there has been more creativity for the queer folks or the non-binary folks that we have interviewed. And so that, that could definitely be a part of it. I think this could apply for non-monogamous folks. I mean, let's say you're splitting your time with multiple partners. You may not be able to have sex with each partner every day in the way that we define as a culture defines sex as like penetration, but that doesn't mean that you can't commit to checking in with your partner and having some type of intimate conversation mm -hmm. throughout mm -hmm. the day and balancing that with multiple partners. And also yep. to, to reinforce this, like it's not even necessarily just creativity. It's when an image of sex has been thrust down your throat, no pun intended. Um, 
for a really long time, then that's kind of what you start to think of as sex, right? And we're bombarded mm-hmm. with images of images and ideas and stories and myths about what heterosexual sex is. But once you enter the queer space, there's a lot less representation of what queer sex is. So there's a so yeah, there's creativity, but there's also a lot there's less um there's less Programming. cultural baggage of telling you what it's supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's yep. a little bit easier. But there, but then again, there are myths and stereotypes. Like lesbian bed death is like a common trope where like couples that are queer women like get together, get married, buy a cat, and stop having sex. Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm that's a stereotype. How this yeah. would apply to that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it would apply to them. Is is just thinking through how do you continue to prioritize your relationship and your pleasure, even when life kind of becomes mundane, if you think about it that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. How do you have the energy? <laughs> I, guess, I like, I love this because I talked to my clients about it. And even before you sent us this book, Simone and I, and, and in my own practice have talked about like creating sexual menus and mm-hmm. like, you know, expanding the definition of sex, but in practice, I'm just wondering, like, when, how do you not view it as a task? And maybe it's okay to view sex as a task. I think people mm. are, like, anti that because they think sex is supposed to be this, like, spontaneous no. thing that happens. But sometimes it has to maybe be on the to-do list, literally, I in mean, a relationship. you put getting your nails done on the to-do list, and you put getting a massage on the to-do list, and you put going to the gynecologist on the to-do list. Why can't having you an orgasm. Put, yeah. Having an orgasm. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and I there's, so there's a couple components. One, I think there is this idea that structure, kind of the way familiarity breeds contempt, I think structure breeds boredom. But I don't necessarily know that that needs to be the case. So I do think that, um, and I will say that this isn't, it wasn't even, I don't think it became a very articulate, this is what we do as a mandate, really, until we published the book. And now we're like, oh, crap, I guess we should have sex every day. Um, intentionally, it was just sort of the thing where, and I will say this, so the first rule of the book is sleep naked. So one of the is easiest what? ways to sleep naked. So every night when you get into bed, just nude, naked. Yeah. <laughs> Nicoletta and I do that anyway, and we're not even in a relation, in a, in a romantic sense. So you're already a step ahead. <laughs> um, That's so interesting well, because I feel like archaic views, like I remember... I think my dad telling me when I was younger, like, don't be naked all the time in front of your partner because, like, it takes away the excitement of it. It's a very French idea, actually. I was just reading La Seduction. Um, I can't remember the author's name, but he talks about how French women, uh, they have this joke, like, don't be naked around your husband or he won't buy you lunch. And I was, like, talking to my husband about this. I'm like, eh, fuck it. I'll, I'll buy my own lunch. I want to be naked around you, right? <laughs> So it's just thinking through, yes, I think that there can be some familiarity, but uh, I have not found that to be the case. My husband still likes seeing me naked, uh, no matter how often I, I do it. Yeah, I feel like that, see, I'm from France, and um, I don't know, I feel like, Frenchness aside of my own or the stereotype, I feel like that, saying like, don't be naked in front of your partner or they won't buy you lunch, 
is furthering this kind of idea that we have like a limited amount of sexuality and sensuality mm-hmm. within within us and we have to be selective about when we dole it out and then like we are losing something when we give up some of our sexuality and I feel like that even ties into like uh abstinence edu- abstinence only sex education and like tr- teaching women that like the more sexual you are the more used you are and like the less mm. the less like someone is going to want you and i oh, hate see, i that was thinking trope. of it i was thinking of it more as like not getting sick of your partner and keeping some things a mystery like not pooping in front of your partner or like not always being naked in front of your partner to like leave some things to the imagination. But like when you can poop in front of your partner, that's a pretty amazing experience. Nah. Drew is still out on that one. I think I have or haven't. I think I have. I used to have I used to have a partner who like <laughs> who like really wanted me to poop in front of him. Like not in like a sexual way, but he was like a come on, like you can do this. You can do this. And I'm trying to think if I ever did. Caitlin, is that on your menu? <laughs> <laughs> Poop fetishes? No, no, I haven't added that one yet, but it's expanding all the time. Uh, no, I'm pooping in front of your partner, but oh. yes, f- the fetishes are included too, I guess, on some people's menu. Well, I will say I feel comfortable with it, but Michael doesn't. So it might be a partner by partner. Yeah. Okay, so rule one is? Sleep naked. Sleep naked. Sleep naked. And and I did want to touch on... Um, a point you were making about the energy. Your, your first question was, how do you have the energy for this? And then, Simone, you were talking about how we have to dole out our sexuality in small doses. I actually feel like this habit of ours <laughs> actually gives me more energy, right? So it's kind of like going... Like the more sex you have, the more sex you have. Yes, yeah. I feel like if you're if you're going to the gym for the first time and you haven't been in a while, it is going to be exhausting. And going every single day feels like it's four. But after two weeks, man, going to the gym gives you energy. You can't wait to start lifting weights, right? Like so it's it's more just training your body to start recalibrating its physicality so that it looks forward to it and it's actually a energy generator. Mm. I like that. So it's like you're creating the energy and maintaining it by continuing to be sexual as opposed to like waiting for every now and then when it feels like a huge chore. Right. You're just kind of keeping it at like a low simmer all the time instead of having to like, you got a pilot light on basically instead of having to like yeah. start your fire from scratch every sesh. Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, what made you decide to to do this? Like what made you realize that this was something that was needed? Because I think- a lot of couples in hearing this would agree, but how did you decide like, okay, well, we're going to do something about it? I have this distinct memory as a young girl of reading like a cosmopolitan style magazine and the author was interviewing her friend and her friend told her she and her husband have sex every day. And the author was surprised and at the same time said, well, now I understand why he lights up every time she walks in the room. And I remember thinking, well, I want my husband to light up every time I walk into the room. Is all it takes sex every day? Like, that doesn't seem like too bad of a recipe. Like, I can follow that recipe. So I would say even in a pre-sexual experience, I had this mental idea that if I wanted to be adored, I would make this a priority. And so when I actually did get married, um, well, you have that whole 
newlywed bliss that happens. So sex is just fun and we do it probably very spontaneously a lot. But then afterwards, it was just, I think sleeping naked was a really big component of it. Um, the second one that you've already mentioned is the many. So my husband is more laconic than I am. He does not, he's a very private person. He doesn't talk much. But I, as you might have picked up, I'm a very external processor and I really enjoy talking about everything. And so I wanted to talk about sex and what do you like and what do you not like? And he, he just didn't have a vocabulary for talking about it. And so I came up with this idea of the menu. And then so there's appetizers, there's side dishes, there's entrees and desserts. And it just became our habit to say, what would you like from the menu every night as we went to bed? And the nice thing is that then you get to choose. So your other partner might say, well, I don't know what's on the menu. Because let's be honest, right? Oral sex is just not always on the menu. Um, so I think sometimes either is back. penetration. And, right? Exactly. And so the, the first partner gets to come back with uh, an array of options. Well, I'm in the mood for this or that. What do you think? And then the other partner gets to choose and maybe craft a multiple course like, oh, well, I really love a massage because it's been a really long day. And then I love my usual. And then uh, for my husband, back scratching is dessert every night. For me, words of affirmation is always my appetizer, right? There are certain things that we just, it really, it kind of rounds out the experience. And so, um, yeah, it just, I would say that one question came the habit just what would you like from the menu today? Hey, slutty scholars. Sorry for the interruption, but I want to take a moment just to offer you a discount code from our amazing sponsors. Kama Sutra has an ancient passion and philosophy based on the fourth century Indian text known as the Kama Sutra. Kama is the greatly revered Hindu god of love, while Sutra means narrative, manual, or guide. The teachings in this text include the use of oils and fragrances to enchant the senses and intensify sexual pleasure. I personally love and am inspired by the history and the inspiration for the company. They have amazing products ranging from massage creams and oils to personal lubricants, luxury bathing gels, and massage candles. I really love the Weekender Kit, which is an on-the-go intimacy package that can fit in your purse, your carry-on, or even your pocket. It's great for that planned spontaneity that we always talk about on the show. If you don't have a partner to use it with, take yourself on a date with Kama Sutra. Right now, use our discount code of S&S, S-A-N-D-S, like Sands, and get 20% off on all your orders at kamasutra.com. Let us know what you think. Is the menu something, so you have a menu in your book. Do you recommend that people use this menu or people come up with their own menu? Because, sorry, because I'm wondering if you come up with your own menu, I'm just thinking about it. You might only include things you already know, right? And so mm -hmm. I'm thinking about how it's probably good to have an externally created menu. Is that the Well, intention? I can speak from personal experience because after I got your email, I was like, to my partner, I'm like, let's make a menu immediately. <laughs> so you made your own menu. <laughs> um, well, I would say I liked the combination menu, meaning that like we could come up with an exhaustive list of what we could think of, and then we could look and see if there were other things that we could add inspired from other people's menus, like Absolutely. yours. Yeah, and that's 
that's exactly what we recommend in the book is, hey, we have a sample menu that you can look at and pull ideas from, but absolutely spend some time with your partner. Just sit You down. are your own chef. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like a yes. restaurant, like menus can be seasonal. So maybe in a certain season or time of your life, there's a special that you mm-hmm. like, and then maybe you don't like that anymore, and so you update the menu. 86 it. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. That's what I mentioned in the book. You 86 what you don't want. Do you want. really? I do. <laughs> That's so funny. 86 Nicolette say- is a term for when something is run out of the kitchen when you're working in a restaurant. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I don't know if Just anybody else will get it in the book, but Simone, I'm glad that you would. <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah. Um, um, but, but yeah, like there's... But, but you know, there's like also some chefs work. who like refuse substitutions. <laughs> nope. Like there's that chef. Well, we don't we don't like those there's chefs chef in, in our bedroom. Like, literally will not give you ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> They're not paying attention to what I want. Right. <laughs> they may not be a good partner. <laughs> <laughs> um I mean I love the idea of having appetizers, side dishes, desserts um because I think you know sometimes you're only in the mood for like a slider as opposed to mm-hmm. like a full burger and that could just be your meal or enough and I think as we're trying to take away like penis and vagina sex or penetrative sex as like the gold standard do you feel like naming things as an appetizer kind of like supports that narrative that there are there there is this hierarchy of like what's better like that the entree is penetration or the entree is something more intense than just a makeout? Well, we define the entree as the orgasm. So <clears throat> however you orgasm, by all means, put that in the entree category. So appetizers are things that we think of as getting you in the mood for. So the foreplay would be the most obvious answer for it, but it can be anything from sending text messages throughout the day or uh, massage, an erotic massage, but it's it's anything that's leading up to it. The side dish is anything that goes alongside that climax experience. <laughs> and then the dessert is anything that comes after. So I wouldn't, I don't know that I think of it as a hierarchy because I, I swear, I think my husband sometimes likes back scratching even more than coming. Um, so I don't know that it's a hierarchical one, but simply a chronological one. Interesting. Chronological. Because even in hearing you say that, like sometimes like your husband's favorite thing is the back scratching. Not only do here at Sets and Scholars and just generally in our personal lives, do we strive to move away from the definition of sex as penetration, but we also strive, and this is coming from like one of our first episodes with Nina Hartley, is recognizing that sex, like the act of sex should be one that is pleasure oriented, not goal oriented. And so- Mm. Me personally, I've really tried to release the idea of orgasm as the goal of a sexual encounter. And yet you and your book really emphasize orgasm and coming. And so for me personally, I found it extremely liberating to just kind of succumb to sensation and things that feel good and like Mm -hmm. recognizing that I can make myself come whenever I want. What I can't do by myself is like feel different things and like feel what it's like to have someone touch my back with a feather and feel what it's like to have someone kiss my nipple or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. Things that don't necessarily help me or, you know, make me climax per se. So I'm just curious if you could speak to that sort of dichotomy. I would say that's, 
maybe that'll be the sequel because <laughs> I really feel like I was writing for a certain uh, certain group. I and I will say for women, right? I know it ended up being couples because Michael wrote the him version of the book, but um, for me, I would really wanted my girlfriends um, to just recognize that wanting to orgasm was okay. So I think it's more. I wanted them to get to step one, right? Be comfortable with your body, be comfortable being naked, be comfortable orgasming and asking for what you want. I can't emphasize mm. that enough. That is, I could just say one thing. It's like, ladies, just ask for what you fucking want. Um, whatever it is, if it's a feather, go ask for the feather. So I think step one was just the empowering desire level. And then I think mm. once you're comfortable at that level, then by all means, you can continue to grow in your mindfulness awareness of what you do and just want and I would say by all means let's let's get away from the orgasm if, if that's the direction that you want to head but I felt like there was just or no sometimes point. if it just doesn't happen or if it just doesn't happen oh yeah I read I read there in the book right when I first got married orgasm it was stressful because I was like I have to get there in 6.2 seconds like I had this like clock ticking in my head and if I didn't get there mm -hmm. I was like stressed out and Turns out that's not exactly conducive to orgasming. Um, <laughs> yep. So I did. I had to let go of my need to do it quickly. Like it just was like, eh, when it comes, it comes. And it turns out when you come more often, it comes faster anyway. So it was sort of a virtuous cycle that happened. But yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think if we're using the menu reference, there's like, there's so much content there <laughs> to like compare. So I'm imagining, you know, sometimes you go out for dinner and you order something that looks really good on the menu and then you're like, ah, oh, that was fine. Um, and you can, you know, you enjoyed it and you're like full enough and satiated and you have energy. Um, but later you end up going through a drive through cause you like wanted a little something extra. <laughs> um, so I feel like it, you know, both can happen or sometimes you're like, oh, that was enough. Even if it wasn't maybe the meal that you were super excited about, but it still ended up being, you know, just fine. And it was okay. I don't yeah. think we've ever recorded an episode that has made me both exceptionally hungry and exceptionally horny. <laughs> I feel like that's you every episode. What do you mean? <laughs> Fair enough. I have been making the sexes like food, uh, not metaphor, simile for a while. Like, I just think you should try everything, and I try everything when it comes to food. Anyway, we don't know about rule number three. Rule number three. Okay, so we had uh, sleep naked and the menu, and then rule number three is she comes first. Yes? I don't know. I like that. They're oh, yeah. Rules. Sorry. So yes, <laughs> yes, that's the rule. <laughs> yes, yes, that's the rule. <laughs> yeah, and this is where I don't know how it would work in a lesbian relationship. Like, do you guys just take turns at that point, I suppose, but... Um, yes, for us, that, that was our rule. And that really, uh, for me, it's just, I don't, I don't, I'm not always in the mood, right? I, sometimes my brain is on Excel spreadsheets and what I'm going to be making for dinner tomorrow, right? Like my head needs to be brought back into the equation. Um, and so for me, he'll be like, well, what do you want from the menu? And be like, eh, I'm good. Right. And then like, he doesn't. And I know you guys have a whole thing about no doesn't try harder, but I actually, in this case, it really worked well for us because usually when I say no, I'm, I'm good. What I really mean is I don't want to go to the word of having to make this happen. Um, mm -hmm. and so him taking the initiative, it just takes 
some warming up for me to get there. So, um, but yes, that putting me first, it happens in our, our bedroom, right? Because that climax of a lot of things, it gets me in the mood, it gets me lubricated, it gets me ready. Um, and then by the time I come, I'm like, oh my gosh, whatever you want from the menu, like it's all, it's all there, whatever you want. Like, so I think for men, it's, it's really about if you want this to be a habit in your life, really prioritize your wife's husband. Make sure that she's looking forward to sex as much as you are. Because guys, it's so easy for them to um, It takes us a little bit more work. And so just encouraging the men to really set the tone. I think I tell husbands in the, the, in the guys' side, we say, like, just give your wife time to transition from mommy mode to wife mode. Like, Put the kids to bed, let her take a bubble bath, hand her a smutty novel, like just give her some space to get ready. And then putting her first and helping her to climax, you're really gonna make sure that she's enjoying the experience and make the priority as well. Yeah, I think there's a there's a big difference between pushing someone when they say no versus expressing to your partner that you're open to the idea of getting aroused. So something that we've talked about in a past episode with um, researcher and author uh, Wednesday Martin is that most people with vaginas have more of a responsive sexuality, whereas people with penises have more of a spontaneous arousal. And so I wouldn't necessarily say that it always has to be like she comes first. Like, let's say, you know, someone can't orgasm or they're not in the space to orgasm that day. But the idea that for people with vaginas, it may take them longer, at least in a committed long-term relationship, to become aroused or be open to getting aroused uh, mm -hmm. and to acknowledge that, like, that amount of time may take longer than a person with a penis who may feel more spontaneous erection or arousal. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's more instead of saying like, you know, s stepping over somebody saying no and forcing them, of course, I think it's more acknowledging for the person with a vagina for them to be able to say, mm -hmm. um, I'm not really horny right now, but I'm open to the idea of becoming aroused. And also just to acknowledge that, like, yes, I think in the majority of cases, like, we know how people with penises come and, like, the easiest mm -hmm. way to do it. Like, they know it's it's right. relatively easy, but it does – it's not always the case. Like, there sometimes it can be difficult for um, people with penises to climax. Okay, so in your bio – it says that you went to Biola University, and for people who don't know, um, Biola is an evangelical Christian um, university. And so a lot of the stuff we've talked about on the podcast in terms of religion talks about the oppressiveness um, of religion and sexuality. And we have had more folks reach out to us recently who are like, oh, I'm a pastor, or, or oh, I'm this, and I'm sex positive. And so I wonder, obviously, you are sex positive and pleasure-focused in the book that you wrote. And so I wonder like, mm -hmm. how religion and spirituality fit in with your sexuality. Mm, I love this question. Because, yes, I grew up evangelical Christian. I attend a Foursquare, which is kind of a charismatic church now. And it is. It's. A, I just wrote an article about how throughout history the church has come down hard on pleasure. And I will say pleasure in general, but sexual pleasure in particular. And look, I was looking at 
St. Paul when he starts it off with flesh desires pleasure, spirit desires the things of God. And so he kind of put the wedge between our physicality and our spirituality. Um, and I have to keep in mind, right, Paul is an unmarried man in from, yeah, very, very particular point of view that he's sharing. And then that got passed down and it goes through John Chrysostom basically saying that wives are not there to fuel their husband's fornicating tendencies. Um, they're supposed to help their husbands stay serious and focus on the Lord. And then um, who else? Oh, Augustine, of course, who really thinks we should just make babies without any sexual encounter at all. And why do we have clitorises? Uh, he actually argues that people... And that is what it comes to. <laughs> I round out all of this history of um, uh, counteracting with the simple biology of the clitoris. And I'm like, we don't believe that we were designed on accident. We believe that everything was intentional. And hello, God gave us 8,000 otherwise useless nerve endings. Like, I don't know about guys, right? They have a multifaceted penis, right? It may, they may experience pleasure by accident. But clitorises is no accident, right? <laughs> Women were designed for sexual pleasure from day one. And then um, I go on to argue that when you look at creation itself, um, that when an infinite triune God has no need, there is no utilitarian reason for creation. It has to be for pleasure. It has to be because it delighted him to make the world. And so instead of viewing pleasure as only useful insofar as it creates children, instead turning that on its head and saying, wait, maybe the whole point of creation is simply for pleasure. And so my, my argument is, okay, <laughs> my beautiful Christian family, could we please stop vilifying pleasure? Could we please get away from this like heretical Gnostic doctrine that the flesh and the spirit are opposed to each other? And can we please start prioritizing this because this is the heart of God. How has your community responded to that? Your church, your family, your friends? You know, I've been really blessed. Um, I have a really supportive church. Um, I actually gave the book to one of my, my female pastors and was like, I would love your feedback on this. And she's like, oh, I'm so excited you're writing this. Um, and in general, I think my community has been really positive. I mean, my mother-in-law was one of my first beta testers <laughs> reading it. She is a very conservative Christian woman, and she she really loved it. So I really think that there is um, there is a hunger in Christian circles, and I'm sure other religious circles as well, for us to just start having this conversation and give people a a rational, spiritually conscious um, argument for why this needs to be a priority in their life. It does sound, though, like, I don't know if this was personal preference or just because of your own experience, but as we kind of touched on earlier, it does seem like the way um, that it's written is more for someone who is a husband and wife or someone who's in, like, a heterosexual committed partnership. And that sort of fits in mm -hmm. with maybe the, the ideal of, like, when it's okay to experience pleasure. Mm. Yeah, I would say... Because this is my community and my tribe, yeah. um, I I was not quite ready to alienate them <laughs> by expanding it into a wider circle. I also think that there's also probably a deeper need in these circles. Um, mm -hmm. 
which I couldn't have accessed if I had um, if I had used just a broader scope, uh, if that makes sense. So this book was very targeted to reach a very certain tribe. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is that, right, right, I am a, a heterosexual monogamous woman, right? Like, um, and I mean, I was technically a virgin when I got married. Like, I was absolutely following the whole conservative Christian guidelines on how this is supposed to work. Mm. Um, so for me, whenever I share, I want it to be my truth and stay authentic to my experience. And so the book is really sharing this is how I've gotten there. Yeah. And if we decide that the principles are applicable to a wider audience, fantastic. But I didn't want to speak on something that I had not personally experienced. And it sounds like there was such a need for it in your community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's super interesting. I mean, obviously Nicoletta and I don't um, espouse the ideas that you should remain sexually inactive until marriage. Um, And, but there is a large community that does believe that. And I think some of the response that we've had a lot from listeners and fans is that when they did grow up in that space, uh, regardless of how they feel about having waited, um, they do struggle to really claim their sexuality for themselves um, because it has kind of been a thing Mm. that they haven't really been thinking about and very much done at the service of their husband because these tend to be very specific heterosexual cisgender relationships. And so um, Mm -hmm. I do think it meets a very real need. One personally that I wish didn't exist, um, but mm-hmm. but I think that's really powerful to like to stake that claim. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's mm. it's tough because in my work, obviously, I see clients along the full spectrum. So I have some religious clients, I have some non-religious clients, I have some people who don't want to be sexual until you know a committed partnership or marriage, and. I think, I don't know, I think it's it's just tough because I want to support them and be sex positive at the same time, but meet folks where they're at and what's important to them. But I definitely have seen a struggle if someone grows up in a community where they're told that, you know, sex and connecting in that way is wrong. And then, then once they get married, then it's okay. And struggling to like give yeah. themselves permission um, to explore that like yeah. you have. Mm-hmm. I would argue that too much of our abstinence training, uh, it comes off as sex is bad, sex is wrong, mm. uh, pleasuring yourself is wrong, right? And it's, so it's, it is, it's, it's kind of more like as I'm raising four kids, thinking through the implications, how do you teach them uh, to love their bodies, to love sex, to love God, right? <laughs> and to do all these things well. Mm. Um, kind of the balance that I'm, I'm working through is it's starting with the self-love, prioritizing yourself, um, we haven't had to have the masturbation conversation yet with my seven-year-old daughter, but I'm sure that at some point we will. Um, but I think what the, the angle that I want to take it for her personally is like sex is so beautiful. Like do it with somebody that you genuinely care about and want to enjoy. Like when you're bringing it into partnership. So I will probably give her full permission to, you know, masturbate and meet her own sexual needs until she needs to. But if you're going to be in a really beautiful, committed partnership, like that's why you save it. You don't save it because it's sinful and wrong and bad. You just save it because it's, it's even that much more pleasurable when you're doing it with somebody that you have that emotional and spiritual connection with as well. So 
um, I don't know how well it'll work, right? Give me 10 years, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, come back and let us know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, how that works. Um, but that's the theory I'm going in with. That's well, awesome. thank you so thank you so much. We really appreciate having this perspective. And for all of our listeners out there, we would encourage you to do some homework. And whether you have a partner or not, to create your own sexual menu. Yeah, sometimes I need- look at restaurant menus even when I'm not hungry or not going to go out to eat. Exactly. <laughs> um, or like can't afford it yeah. at, the, at the moment. Um, so if you need help finding that... Um, Caitlin, how can people get in touch and check out your book to get inspired on their sex every day and sexual menu? Oh, I love that. You can find us at www.sexeverydaybook.com. Uh, we, we sell the book through the website, but we also have a lot of really great free resources that are included, like the sample menu that you can print out, a contract if you're going to just try it for two weeks, um, the, we have some energy clearing from my energy clearer, uh, just MP3s about how to clear out some of your sexual blocks um, as you're moving into the mood. So we've really tried to make this as easy an experience as possible to try out. And then we also have some really beautiful Facebook groups, um, Sex Every Day for Him uh, and Sex Every Day for Her on Facebook, where you can plug in for our community and get connected as well. Wow. That's amazing. What wonderful resources. Um, Of course, if you want to keep up to date with all that we're doing, uh, you can find us on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Slut Scholars, and obviously we love getting your emails at slutsandscholars at gmail.com. 